Erica, why don't you start off by... Uh, with the thing? With, yeah. With the introduction, and then we'll introduce... Hello. Gabriel. Okay, I'll, I'll now introduce... Now start off. Gabriel. I know it sounds, it sounds biblical when we say it like that. Hello, and welcome to The Voice of Design. I'm Erica Hall. And uh, this is Mike. And we're coming to you from our secret basement headquarters in beautiful North Beach in San Francisco. And today we have a very special guest, our lawyer, Gabe, calling in from somewhere in the woods because he doesn't huh. really come into the city anymore. Well, I don't come into the city to work, come into the city to play. Hi, all. Hi. Hey, Gabe. How are you? I'm really good. How are you guys? Good. You know what's weird? What's weird? I spend more time with Gabe's dad now than I do <laughs> with Gabe. Yeah. Like every it's morning, kind of- every morning we hang out at the cafe. I'm jealous. You should be. You know, he has stories. Endless. He likes to tell them. He does. Yeah. He really he really does. And if if you're a good listener, that's uh that works well. Yeah, we just talk about capitalism, you know. <laughs> it's one of his favorite subjects. Yeah, he he bought us a book on taxing the rich. It was awesome. He uh he got angry at me because I wasn't reading that same book fast enough. <laughs> every time he every time I see him, he's got like an 800 page history book of some sort. Dude has read more nonfiction than everybody else I know combined. I believe it's, it. It's crazy. Yeah. I think there's just like so much knowledge spilling out. You know, he's getting older. He's got to just let it out. <laughs> so he has, he has some room for other stuff so he can like remember where he lives and things like that. Important things. Important things. Yeah. Well, that's a good, I mean, North Beach is a good neighborhood for that because I think there are a lot of Let's Old say, men. Oh, I, I was thinking of a good euphemism. No, like, there's, you know, it's not a youth. You don't need a euphemism. It's not a crime. It's not a crime to be an old man. <laughs> beat, it's beat, it's beat aspirational. Nicks. Beatniks and former beatniks. Former and, beatniks. And people impersonating beatniks. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. old men who have read a lot of books. This is probably mm. the neighborhood with the highest concentration of that particular demo. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't spend nearly the time I used to spend there, but um, I feel like, yeah, maybe my North Beach has like aged along with my dad and myself. Like it used to be 40 something year old men and women partying and hanging out. And I was the kid that was there. But now I guess it's like old beatniks. That's that's my North Beach, too. Oh, yeah. All the party people have moved to the mission. Right. Yeah. Hence all the damn empty stores. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, well, a new Nepalese restaurant went in that's super good. Uh, I wish I could remember the name because I give them a little promo. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, uh, there's a lot of empty stores all, all over the city for reasons, structural reasons. Because people don't like to see each other anymore. Yeah, well, we had a, we had a design meetup last night here for the explicit purpose of getting people to see each other and, uh, and folks were into it. So we're, we're trying, we're doing our part as San Francisco residents and members of the North Beach business community to encourage people to get together in person and eat out and go out to listen to live music together and go out to movies and do the things that make a city able to be a city. Yeah, for sure. That's good. And you guys certainly are. The reason we asked you to join us on our, our podcast, you know, you were, you were part of our old, old-timey podcast network, was because we, uh, we want to talk about things that we think would be helpful for designers now to, to think about. And one of those things is negotiation, which is a part of design that doesn't get talked about enough uh, because it's sort of terrifying for people because it's not taught like you as a, a lawyer. That's, I assume, something that people teach you in lawyer school. <laughs> lawyer school? Uh, like, like Lawyer school. It's, it's, isn't that like from Richard Scarry, like the pig goes to lawyer school? The pig goes to lawyer yeah. school. Okay. <laughs> you know, they don't, or at least they really didn't when when I went back from 2000 to 2003, teach you, there might've been like an elective course to learn about negotiation, but the practice of law, at least for most people, definitely teaches you and makes you more comfortable with negotiation. That is for sure. That's weird. Cause I figured that to me, that just seems like a big cornerstone of lawyering is negotiating. 
Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And like, I want to, I can't honestly remember if there was a, there was an elective. I certainly didn't take it if there was, because I would have remembered that. Yeah. So it's probably one of those things you, you learn by doing, but, but I know a lot of people think that I remember when we first decided to start a business and we had some moments of very terrible negotiate, like that was hard. The negotiating part was hard and it seemed sort of mysterious. And then when, when we all started working together, then I think just going through like talking about contracts and talking about which things were more or less risky. uh, Yeah. It really was the doing of it and the talking about it and the trying different things and then doing something a little bit better, or a little bit worse. And then it, it, it's just a thing that's a part of what you do when you're doing somewhat complicated business things, especially around services. Yeah. It's obviously, you know, to phrase it a different way, I think maybe when we were chatting about this, this podcast, but like people don't like conflict, right? Hate it. Yeah. I mean, at least good, normal, non-psychotic people don't like conflict. Love, love conflict. I think, <laughs> I think the, uh, the law draws people that don't mind it to a certain extent, but negotiations sort of inherently a conflict with people you're like about to form a relationship with. It's, uh, you know, a business relationship, but also, you know, they're supposed to generally be friendly when you're working together to do something, or maybe, you know, that's how people perceive it at least. So the fact that you kind of start that out with a conflict, uh, sort of ridden situation makes a lot of people have, I think rightfully like some approach avoidance and really just fear um, that something's going to go wrong. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's not just that something's going to go wrong, but I think even just having those conversations where you have to talk about the fact that you have explicitly different interests going into something. And if, if things go south, you need a, a framework for resolving those if it really gets bad. Yes. And I think that, you know, people are, they're, they're afraid of various things, right? You're either afraid of losing the business or affecting the business relationship potentially negatively, or you're afraid of other stuff, not to be too sort of Spock-like about it, but that it really doesn't matter. And it's like your own normal human emotional stuff. So I think one of the things we talked about heading in here was like how how do I be less afraid or how do people be less afraid of these negotiations? And I thought about that before we talked and I was like, well, there's, there's two things that I think really help. You know, one is preparation. I mean, being more prepared than the other side can win a negotiation and has endless times in my experience. And then the other is, you know, a measure of confidence part of which can come from that preparation, but can also come from experience and come from identifying your leverage. I mean, if you have no leverage in the situation, <laughs> you're obviously kind of not going to net out in a great spot in negotiation. You have to go in understanding that if you really want the work and the you know prospective client has 10 other people that at least on paper are just as good as you. Um, like you don't have that much leverage, but if you can identify some leverage or even make some leverage for yourself by doing various things we can talk about, then you can help get that, that confidence and that, um, to join in with that preparation and be, you know, less fearful. Yeah. Cause fear, like fear is the mind killer. And so I'll, <laughs> I'll tell, I'll tell the story of how, how we came to meet and work with you because that was, that was not at the beginning of a client relationship where we were just sorting out terms, that was more of a, a crisis point because we had, you know, we had a standard contract and the, and the work that, that we were doing was pretty, you know, straightforward design and consulting and, and web services. So a, a pretty ordinary services agreement was working for us. And we decided to take on this, it, not a huge project, but we didn't super vet the client because it wasn't a huge project and because they came to us through somebody we knew who said, hey, my former colleague is starting this company and they need this job. And we looked at it and said, oh, that work would would fit into our schedule nicely, doing that little like end of year uh, resource and, and budget Tetris. And, you know, we signed the standard agreement we'd been using and we started working with them. And... 
they were a startup and the CEO was one of those dudes. He's a dick. Well, okay. <laughs> the CEO was kind of a dick. He was a dick. Yeah. And there was another guy he was working with who was like his his VP or whatever, who was, you know, n- less less of a dick. But possible like, coke fiend, though. Possible coke. Yes, possible coke fiend. <laughs> and we started doing this project and it was a pretty standard, just like small amount of like design and make website work. It was It was really pretty simple, but we got through the first part of it. Then we just got to a point where... Like it went from happy to unhappy. And the CEO is just unsatisfied with the design work. And he said, you know what? I've got my print design guy. And I didn't think what you were doing was pretty enough because, you know, what we were doing was something that could actually be built and work. And he had his print guy mock up something that was ridiculous because it was (laughs) like a print layout. And he said, you know what? This is a long time. I mean, we should put some context around this. This was a long time ago, like when people had print guys. Oh, yeah. When when you had print designer. Yeah. Yeah. This was very, very early on in in Mule, in like the early, early 2000s. So he had his print guy mock this thing up. And he said, yeah, I just want you guys to build this design that my print guy did. And we said, okay, what you're showing us is a print layout. It is not an interactive design mock-up at all. And it really can't be built well. And if you build it and try to launch it, it's just going to suck for people. And the response we got back was, nope, this design I like, you have to build this other guy's design. And so fortunately... Which was news to me. Which part was news? That I had to build some other guy's design. Oh yeah. Not only was it news to us, fortunately in the agreement we've been using that I don't even know where we, we probably used some, I mean, this is common practice where an agency is like, Hey, we're starting an agency. Hey friend who has an agency, do you have a contract that we could just use as our master services agreement? And, uh, but it wasn't a bad agreement because it had explicit terms in there that said the client could not uh, far, like take a part of the work we'd agreed to do and have somebody else do it. And so uh, the way it was worded, what they were asking was an explicit contract violation. And uh, they had breached the terms of the agreement. And we were like, sweet, we can just fire these people because it was really like we tried talking to them. It wasn't happening. And so I forget if it was in a meeting or on the phone where I, I delivered the message like, hey, so it seems like you want something else. Uh, we're not going to do this. So we're just going to keep the deposit and stop working together. It was something like that. And this made the CEO very, very angry. Very angry. Very angry. He called me. And this was another practice we used to do that we didn't do. We had our cell phone numbers on our business cards to be Never, all, ever do oh that. Oh, my Never God. Do to that. be. Get a burner. Get a uh, burner. Yeah. <laughs> just like, just tweet at me, man. So I'm a person I already have like phone anxiety. But then what I had was I had these guys. I had this extremely tall uh, CEO and his smaller, more soft-spoken friend calling me. Like first the CEO called me and just like, just tore me a new one. Just super pissed off. Like you can't do this. And I was like, well, it's the contract. So technically like you can't do what you're doing. Can. Can. And then the other dude was just calling me and leaving me voicemail. And I just, I did not answer my phone for a week. And I was super stressed. And then we got a letter uh, from a fancy Silicon Valley law firm that said the client wants their money back. And that's when we were like, oh, shit, we better get a lawyer because we don't know what to do with this letter. I remember being incredibly stressed out. I was so stressed. My stomach so was stressed. eating itself and because I'd never been in this situation well, before. Well, and the thing, and, and and we were right. We were in the right. We had mm-hmm. a, a a solid contract. And yet, it was scary as shit. Yeah. Like, this was a client who was also in the same neighborhood. And so, they would occasionally eat lunch at this place. We ate lunch. And I was just like, I'm we like, changed. We changed where we went to lunch. I didn't. I didn't want to run into this dude. No, he never. was very tall and very angry. I vaguely recall that. And I recall a meeting at um, the firm I work for where you guys came in. And I recall the look on Mike's face in particular. Like we've been introduced, you and me, Erica, I think through Elisa. So like I maybe had spoken with you. 
like you just look like a deer in headlights. Like you did not want to be there. Well, I was also scared because you look 12. Yeah, maybe. I think I was uh, all of, um, I mean, you didn't look much past 12, dude. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, this was a while ago. We all looked, we were Muppet babies at that point. Yeah. And you had short hair and no beard. Um, And anyway, and then, yeah, we like that didn't even register for me. Like when I remember working with you guys first, like that was a whatever thing that just got solved. And for sure, my early days of practice were like focused on litigation and conflict. And so it was like, I just got really comfortable with that. Right. And I think people contact us with those kind of situations and I do what I can to try to help resolve them when I can, but I'm selective because those are really hard things to start out a relationship with a client on. Like, you know, there are situations where it may be like, you should give back some money. Yeah. <laughs> and those are really hard things to tell. But the the nice part about this is so, so first we had to figure out how to find a lawyer. And around here, it's really hard to find somebody who's a general, like, business lawyer because everything is like giant corporate law or the startup lawyers who are who are working with a, a fast growing company that's uh you know trying to go public or something like that. Lawyers want equity. Yeah. All that stuff. But so we we asked around and then we asked uh somebody who'd uh, yeah at least who'd been corporate counsel at a place where we'd worked before and she said, well, my law partner has a son and we're like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. And the great thing about that is, yeah, we came in like super freaked out, like, oh, these dudes are blowing up our cell phones and we're super stressed because we think like, are we going to get sued by this law firm? But we're this fancy Silicon Valley law firm, but we're right. So we don't want to give back the money. And you were like, okay, cool. You reviewed our contract. You wrote a letter that said, no, Mule shan't be giving back your deposit for these reasons. (laughs) And they went away. Yeah, they just went away. They went away because they said, oh, they thought that we were just a small design firm that could be easily intimidated. And then they just saw like, oh, they have representation. And that was when we, like the magic of of having a lawyer uh, revealed itself to us. Pretty great. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I learned early on, and I actually don't remember who it was from, but it, it stays in my head. Like, you know, you're, I, I would make a horrible shrink. But part of my job is like taking my client's stress in those situations. And you just, people love to hear like, dude, just, you don't have to communicate with that person anymore. Just send them to me. And you just don't have, you just don't have to talk to them. If they get a lawyer or if they already have a lawyer, I'll talk to their lawyer. But for now that I'm it, like I will be your buffer. They talk through me and it immediately takes sort of emotion, at least on my client's side out of the game. Cause I can sort of, I'm not emotional about it. Why should I be? And and that was a really great lesson to learn because um, you just like, I don't know, it's a service we offer that is worth something, right? Just being that buffer. Yeah, just being the person who like deals with the uncomfortable situation. Yeah, I remember we were in another uh, situation that had to do with something going on internally at the client. And it was just a negotiation because for reasons of them just ending a particular business unit, our relationship had to end. And we were in a, in a, in sort of an exiting the relationship negotiation and they put a lawyer into the conversation. And you told us, you're like, if they put a lawyer in, you don't talk to the lawyer. Lawyers talk to lawyers. And we were like, cool. So that's just like, it's a service. You know, it's such a great service of not (laughs) dealing with these situations. So that's the thing I've always remembered. Like I've been in like client kickoffs and, and, and other meetings with clients where all of a sudden there's a new person there you've never seen before and they get introduced as counsel. We've stopped meetings when that's happened. Like, okay, if your lawyer's here, we're going to cancel this until our lawyer can be here. Yeah. And sometimes it's a matter of clarifying the role of that person. It's like, are you here right. as a subject matter expert or right. are you here like representing this organization in some sort of negotiation. And so are, are you yeah, are you here taking notes to write down something when, you know, your client or somebody at the organization decides that you're not going to pay us in two months? Yeah, <laughs> right. That situation that was like back in 2005 or 2006 was like an incredibly stressful, uncomfortable, kind of traumatic interaction. But because of that, because of that, we met 
And then we had this like fantastic working relationship and went through like so many contract negotiations after that. And then it just got to a point where it, it got so much easier for me. And like, I have to repeat, I'm a person with a tremendous amount of social anxiety. And I found that just through practice and just through understanding uh, leverage, I was able to have totally reasonable, non-stressful conversations and treat this as just a part of the design process, which is, you know what, we're working together because uh, this is what the service we offer professionally and you, the client, want things out of it. And we know that bad things can happen in business relationships. And we just want to make sure that we're proportionately, you know, protected because a lot of times we work with very large, powerful organizations and and we've always been a, a modestly sized organization. And as soon as I had the the words to speak to that, I found that people might come at us with really unreasonable terms. But as soon as I put it like that and said, well, we, we just want to both be protected by this document, they were like, oh, okay, cool. It gets frustrating for sure, negotiating with large organizations for a lot of reasons. These negotiations, this conflict, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be antagonistic, right. it, but it is, it, at times it is going to be uncomfortable, even, even for experienced lawyers and negotiators. Like that's one thing that I think a lot of people don't take into it is I have to be prepared to be uncomfortable. I'm going to have to say some things that's going to make the other three or four people on the call or in the room uncomfortable. And so if you understand your leverage and you understand where you're willing to walk, if you're willing to walk and the things you need to say, like I always, I think you guys know this, I always like to get the lawyers and the client, the business people on the phone together to cut out the bullshit middleman game and to keep the lawyers in check and to keep the clients in check. So people aren't blaming each other and pointing fingers and telling tales about what happened on the call. And I love when I have a client like it was with you guys when we were doing these things regularly that I've worked with a lot. They know their stuff. They're, they've got a backbone. They're not afraid. And there's nothing more powerful than like when the lawyer on the other side is directing something at like me, like, Gabe, you know, this is, this is unreasonable and this and that. And then my client pipes up and is like, well, hey, you know, this is a deal breaker for us. We understand this issue. And the call just goes silent. <laughs> <laughs> And I love it because my clients just created that discomfort and like exercised their leverage. And it's, it's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. And this is, uh, this made a lot of sense to me because a, a lot of my work is, is consulting with clients around uh, design research and research is also about living in discomfort, right? Knowing that if you're opening yourself up to ask questions and not know things, like that's not comfortable. You're not optimizing for being comfortable. And as soon as I think, as soon as you recognize that and accept that, like you have so much power. And I think a lot of designers have more power in these situations than they think, but because they don't have the language or they don't understand the leverage, they give away power. Yeah. And I think it kind of ties into, you know, Mike, I know you've done a lot of presentations on like how to present your work and, you know, standing up for it and being in that same sort of situation where you're like, no, you guys are wrong. Like, yeah, we do this for a living. Listen to us. So that same sort of uncomfortable situation where you have to be able to tell people honestly that like either you think they're wrong or, you know, no, you have to say no, which is often a hard thing for people to hear when you're negotiating. We all struggle with our uh, own psychological, you know, personality issues. Fortunately for me and most lawyers, somehow, I think we're just drawn to this field. Like lacking confidence in that situation is not one of the things we have to deal with. If you can't say no to somebody, this is not a field to be in. Yeah. I mean, I, right. Any sort of consulting where you're like trying to help somebody improve, you're going to have to. And, and yeah, I mean, you're going to have to level with them. Like, go make sandwiches. <laughs> Sandwich making is a 100% yes and activity. Well, not in San Francisco. In San Francisco and like Portland and Austin, I think that the sandwich makers, you know, they're, they tell you, you know, at least at the good shops, what you're getting. They get a little prescriptive about, no, we're only <laughs> going to make you this. You only get the arugula. Well, you know, those people should be designers then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Look, 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 you guys came here for a good sandwich 
and we're fucking sandwich makers. So we're going to make your sandwich. Honestly, if I went to a sandwich maker and somebody said that to me, I'd be like, do it, do it. Yeah, make do me, it. make me You're the right. best sandwich I've ever had. If you are so confident that you are going to make a fantastic sandwich, I am dying to eat it. And that's that's the attitude I want from a designer. That's right. It would be professionally irresponsible for me to make the sandwich you requested. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm I'm loving the confidence. Make the sandwich. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and what what I found going through this process with you, Gabe, was that yeah, once I got past the fear stuff, and once I got past the oh, what if I'm because uh, I think one of the fears is is the under-preparation of, oh, I'm going to be caught out and I'm not going to be prepared for this situation. And once we've done it, yeah, then it does actually get fun in the sense <laughs> of, especially because the the times it gets fun are when we'd be dealing with a large organization and there'd be some like corporate counsel who thought very highly of themselves. And this is a thing you said to me, Gabe, that was really helpful. You said, their job, an internal, like a corporate counsel, their job is to say no. Yeah. That's just what they want to do. They just want to say no because they aren't, a lot of times they're not part of the client team. Like in a smaller organization, they might just have their lawyer review something, um, but you're mostly negotiating with members of the client team you'll be working with. And so their interest is in working together and being harmonious and not being adversarial and not being antagonistic. But if you have a very nice client team and they say, oh, we have in-house counsel at this very large organization who you're going to be dealing with, that's a whole other situation. And in that case, it's like you absolutely just have to be a hard ass with those people because it's not about your relationship with the people for whom you're doing the service. It's all about you protecting, you know, and, and I came into this really thinking I have to protect my company and I have to protect my people from being in a bad position contractually with this large organization. Yeah. And you know, what's even worse than, than those corporate lawyers is procurement. Uh, like that, some, that could be a whole other conversation. Sometimes I'm desperate to like get to the lawyer. I'm like, <laughs> no, no, we've had this conversation like six times. Like, just please, <laughs> enough. Get me, get me to the lawyer. Yeah, that stuff is painful. And one of the things that I've found is that you can identify pretty quickly, like when you get one of those folks on the phone or you get them over email, like what kind of call and communication it's going to be. Like occasionally, one in three, maybe you're like, oh, this is a relief. I, I just want someone on the other side to tell me, you know. Now, this is, I'm not going to try to justify this bullshit. It's just corporate dictate. Like, we can't change it. You have to do X or you can't work with us. Like, period. Like, okay, that's yeah. cool. You, to you told me no. I can tell my client no, or my client heard you say no. That's fine. The stuff that really makes it incredibly painful when it's like, this is a fair thing that the contract says we'll pay you when we want to pay you. Like, it's not fair. Don't pretend yeah. it's fair. Just, just say no. Exactly. It's like they want you, they still want to be liked. Right. They who, wait, who? The person, whoever the person is who's defending that language in the contract is saying like, oh, come on, can't you just like, uh, can't you like this language? Can't you agree to it? If you come in and you're like, that's unreasonable language. And they're like, they won't say, they won't say that has to be in there just because it's policy and there's, we can't move it. But they'll be like, oh, come on, be cool. Yeah. Yeah, why can't you guys be like the other vendors, man? Just just sign the thing. Everybody else signs it. Everybody else is doing it. I've had people come to me like that. I had one uh, client that we actually didn't move forward with. The guy was like uh, trying to sell me on some really uh, ridiculous terms. And I'm just like, I was already on the edge about this project. And in the conversation, it was a, it was a great thing. It was like Gladiator, like a few other people from Mule were silently listening in on the call and we all just did the thumbs down during the conversation. <laughs> like, oh no, if this is going to, and he was acting like, oh, you're so lucky to work with us. And he's like, well, we have a, we have our second choice agency might be um, better prepared to deal with us. Cause I said, well, we're a small agency and I can't say yes to these terms because that would be disproportionate and we wouldn't have the protection we need going in this working relationship. And he's like, well, we have this other agency. And because he said that, because he tried to like nag us, I was able to in the email when we, when we walked away say, I am so glad 
to hear that you have another agency that is much better, a much better suited partner for you. It sounds like that. And that was a big relief to me. So because you said that, we're going to let you go with that person because I knew he was bluffing. And later. And later. Yeah. So then a week later. They came back big. No, 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 no. Better. A friend in another agency uh, forwarded us an, an email of them looking for a <laughs> looking for a designer. Yeah, it's. I mean, that there really is like a lot of power in no. I, I, I don't ever sort of say this to clients, really, unless they're totally willing to lose the work. But it's like just say no and see what happens. If you're not willing to lose the work, you can't negotiate. Right. But for me, it's a delicate dance, right? I don't want to be the reason the client loses the work. That's got to be their decision. I, I'm the mouthpiece. Right. But I love it when a client is willing to say no. And it's like, then you just watch what happens on the other side. And it's, <laughs> it's like, you know, you've just won the battle and, and the other side is still squirming and trying to figure out a way to, to preserve their life. And <laughs> yeah. you've just got the sword hanging for their head. It's great. Yeah. No, we have, uh, I, I would say... Saying no has always worked out for us, whether it was like saying no to a particular term, because most of the time, like if if we had agreed uh, to take on this work with this organization and and felt good about it and it wasn't one of those like, oh, maybe this will be OK situations, then it was a good like we wouldn't work with a bad organization. And if if the team was a, a good team that wanted to do good work, then Either it was like just a hard-ass corporate counsel that you just had to be firm with and then get the client to go to them and say, come on, we really want to work with these people and that would take care of it. Or in a lot of cases, once I explained my reasoning, they would totally back off. They'd be like, oh, okay, we get why you would want to modify that language. Yeah. And and so, yeah, a lot of it just really is practice. And like everything in design is sales, including negotiating because you want to sell people on on your position. Oh yeah. I mean the um negotiating leverage with particularly sought after designers, consultants, agencies, developers is always there. I mean you can just feel it in the background like when when somebody really wants one of my clients. Mm -hmm. That's another reason why I really like to get the business folks at the organization as high up. My advice to my clients is like as high up as you can get somebody on that call in marketing or whatever it is that you need to get technology get them on the call because that person can shut the lawyer down and just be like, you know, nine times out of 10, that person's like, no, we, we really want to work with them. Like, let's find a way because the lawyer or the procurement person, like, I got to run this up the chain to only our CFO can make that change. Only our, you know, insurance. Well, then go fucking ask them. We already <laughs> asked for it. Why haven't you asked them already? And so you get like a business person who wants to get the damn project started online and they're like annoyed that, that, you know, procurement or the lawyer hasn't asked the CFO or the insurance department already. And it's just, uh, that's a great thing when that works out too. Right. Yeah. And the thing I, that I always appreciated about working with you was how clearly you explained the options. Because this was, I would say, one of the, the surprising things going into it, right? When you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know much about contract negotiation or business law. And you go into it and you realize how much of it, like you expect it to be black and white. Like, oh, this is the right choice, the wrong choice. And we'd talk about these things and you're like, well, you could do this and maybe one of these things would happen and you'd be exposed in, in these ways or you could do this other thing and this is the upside and the downside. And so often there, there isn't one right answer. It's all just assessing risk. Yeah, it's your tolerance for risk and versus the reward of the business that you're getting. And um, yeah, we try. I mean, I do that for sure. And the people I work with really try to do that too. We sort of, we advertise it as education because we, I mean, we'd like to work with people over a long period of time. Like we don't want to just work with somebody once and be done. So we try to foster that type of relationship with our clients. And so over time, you know, the first if it's somebody coming along who's like, we have a lot of negotiations and we want to use you guys for them. Um, we don't have in, you know, in-house counsel. We're way too small for that, but we want, we want lawyers to protect us. It's like, okay. So the first couple, if you haven't worked with lawyers much to do these sort of things might be a little painful, but <laughs> as, as we get more familiar with one another, and as you learn what these things are, you're like, I don't give a fuck about that. You can give them that. 
And then I learned, great, client X doesn't give a fuck about that. Like I can, I can give that up. Um, I know that it's in the hard drive. Like they're, they yeah. don't care. Yeah. Cause you'll warn about those things initially. You'll be like, I don't know if you like, you're going to expose yourself to some risk here. Yeah. Yeah. The end client's like, yep, don't care. Yep, I'm cool. Risk is good. I'm like, great. Risk is good. Risk is good. You just want to get paid. This is the client that just wants to get paid. Yeah. Like can totally respect that. We'll work on that. <laughs> yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause sometimes it's like, yeah, I'm going into this, but the, the key is going to it um, with your eyes open, knowing what risk you're taking on, not just like, oh, I, I don't want to press because I, I, I'd say the other, like the other lesson is there's the contracts. And I've talked to designers who have a few different positions with contracts. One, it's like, oops, what contract? And they get in a bad position because of that. And I'd say uh, another one is just like, just not asking for things because you think, oh, I'm, I'm providing a service. So I just need to acquiesce and, and need to say yes. Because what you find is that when you're clear about why you need certain things, you, you will get the things a lot of the times you'll find that, oh, there's no real reason for this. Because a, a lot of times the, um, the standard contract like that you're presented with, the person who presents the contract, it's going to be like how sometimes in design, people have said, well, put in something for the client to take out, you know, so they can feel that they've, <laughs> they've taken something out. Right. And so then they'll agree to all the stuff that you care about. I feel like contracts are often the same way where you, if, if it, you're going with your contract, you'll be like, well, here's everything we hope you agree to. And then there'll be the things that you will or won't budge on. And so it's cool to go in and be like, yeah, we want something else for this reason. Yeah. They don't know what's in there half the time. Yeah. It's very true. And <laughs> you're like, oh, I just, I sometimes you hear Oh, I, you know, I just started working here a few months ago. I'm still not, I got to figure out, you know, who's, who's responsible for that, that part of the contract. And that person left 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You can, uh, in some of these forums, you're like, why is this section in different font? Like, because somebody wrote it four years or four months after the rest of the contract was written. Yeah. It can be frustrating. So if you have sort of knowledge about this, which you can gain through an attorney or you can gain through your own experience or both, um, that's one thing, right? And then if you have confidence, you know, that's another. I wanted to plug my partner's book. Go for it. A few years ago, Josh wrote a book about negotiating inbound service agreements. So like those monsters that come from the companies, primarily for designers and the types of clients that we serve. It's remarkably inexpensive digital ebook. I think you can get it from our site, matchstick.legal. Um, and it's a good resource. I mean, I'm plugging it because it's a good resource. Uh, and we, I think, you know, clients who want it from us generally can get it and they sign up for like a standard master services agreement or something. But I think he demystifies stuff. Josh is a really good writer. And I think he demystifies stuff well there in a way that, you know, I, I can do it sort of verbally, but I've certainly never put pen to paper to try to do it in the way that he has there. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing that, that I want to say about contracts is like, it's good to have a good contract, but so much of it, and this, this goes back to just everything about negotiating. So much of it is about the relationship. Like when things have gotten sticky um, and we used to have people like other designers uh, ask us like, oh, like, how do you fire a client? When do you fire a client? And people get really excited about that because it sounds like a, a great opportunity to like, you know, have some power in the relationship. Like, oh, you got to fire them. Because sometimes these things get frustrating, right? And it's like, oh, yeah. I have a dream of just being able to like end the suffering. And But the key is whatever's in the contract, it's the leverage you have from having a good relationship with your client or whoever you're working with, um, whether or not it's a client services relationship, it's so much of negotiating is also that relationship. Like you said, if, if you have a good relationship with the chief marketing officer, like they can go make things okay with the lawyer. It is about understanding like the power dynamic with the people you're working with and being just very conscious about how you have relationships with people. Because a lot of times, whatever's written down in the contract is far, far less powerful if you have to actually do a contract thing than using those relationship biscuits you've built up to be like, hey, like we know that we have an agreement for getting paid 30 days. Could you do net 15? That would be awesome. Or, you know, 
we know that in our agreement, we said we'd deliver this set of things, but working together, we found that this other set of things will actually serve your goals better. And that is so much more effective and powerful than if you have to really go. Like, it's a last resort, as far as I'm concerned, to have to go and point at the contract. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing this right, the contract never comes up again. Yep. You work through it, you dot your I's, you cross your T's, everybody signs it, and it's there. And then you bury it in the ground and and hopefully never have to dig it up. Totally. Absolutely. Relevant to negotiation, you can start working that in the beginning. Like, I have a client that I do dozens of contracts with. I mean, it's just lots of contracts, <laughs> almost always one going and they have a team. And so, you know, I know who does what and, um, the sales folks, uh, you know, they obviously are kind of like, want to have the contract close. Um, so they're, they've become much better at like talking to their counterparts at the client company about like what's important and you know, how important the relationship is and starting to work on their like procurement and lawyer people, like starting to work on them before we even get a contract or before we even dig into it. And so using that relationship, even in the beginning, to the extent it's strong, really helps the negotiation as well. Yeah. And I'd say if you're like, if you're a designer and this is, you know, ostensibly a podcast for designers, it's the exact same set of skills around the terms of like establishing the terms of the business agreement and revisiting those and having this constant dialogue about is everybody working together on this project? Like are the things proceeding as we all hope and expect and have planned for? It's exactly the same in the business relationship as it is with the design work. It's the same sorts of conversations. It's the same sort of being very clear about the pros and cons and the risks and who wants what for what reasons. Right. It's all the same. So like to me, contract negotiation is like, it's not a weird thing for designers to be involved in because that's just the first step of whatever your engagement of problem solving and continuous negotiation is. A much more painful probably step for most, but yeah. Yes. Well, well, it's painful because it usually comes at You've had a business development conversation, you have a proposal, maybe like your proposal won out over other proposals and everybody's in love. And then it's like, you've got to make a prenup. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a prenup. I was talking, I was having a conversation with a bunch of business folks and then like two lawyers. And because this is what we do now, I guess everybody was on like video chat. Um, and it was like mildly contentious, nothing horrible, but like the business folks were also these particular businesses are plenty comfortable being mildly contentious. Mm-hmm. One of the, the, the developers or somebody on the other side is like, business person is like, yeah, now we can go like, I'll do like more interesting stuff. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about me. And then I named the other lawyer. I was like, we're fucking stuck doing this shit all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it was a good way to like diffuse the call. Like, I don't really yeah. mind it actually, but uh, they all like hated it. Right. Uh, it was, yeah. And you're just like, this is, this is the job. This, this is what we do. Yeah. It just feels awkward because it's like, oh, we've talked about all the great things we're going to do together. And now we have to talk about all the ways we could potentially screw each other. And it's a tonal shift, you know, and some, some people have different like teams doing that. Like, yeah, it goes to procurement and maybe you have a person at your agency or your, your consultancy or whatever who handles that. But sometimes it is the person doing the work and doing the biz dev is also doing the contract negotiation. But I mean, again, with practice, it becomes... Like it, the the discomfort becomes manageable and then you get through it and then you feel good because you, you have clarity. So um, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about your practice now. Yeah. You know, we're not working together as closely because, you know, we've got our good contract <laughs> and we've done so much negotiation. But yeah. So what kind of things are, are you doing? Because you've got like partners now and it's a whole matchstick. You set stuff on fire. Like, <laughs> Did you guys get our holiday? Again? Oh, yes. yes. Thank you for that. We sent everybody matches through the U.S. mail. <laughs> I like that. My, my lawyer, my lawyer yeah. is sending matches through the U.S. mail. Yeah. I've been sending interesting things through the mail as well, <laughs> which I should probably have talked to you about. But yeah. oh. What are you sending through the mail? No, zines, zines and pins, zines and pins. But go uh-huh. on, Gabe, tell us, tell us about your current practice. Oh, okay. I mean, honestly, it's, it, it hasn't changed a huge amount. So I have three people that I work with now. Um, Josh Barrett's my partner. Jen Becker's our third attorney. And then Andy Berrios is um, 
our uh, sort of client services director person, and they're all up in uh, Portland, Oregon, which is, you know, kind of a bummer because it would be nice to see people more often, but kind of awesome because I can also still work from home. I was going to say kind of a bummer because, you know, it rains all the time and <laughs> smells kind of moldy. They're, they're very used to that. I went up there in December for like our... Um, we started this endeavor together uh, January 1st of last year, 2019. So kind of went up in December for like end of the year stuff, this year planning and a holiday party where we had four people and four people's spouses. And I got to say, it was pretty cool. It was nice. Oh, nice. From an interpersonal and business perspective, like I'm going to knock on wood right now because it's been really great. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we still focus on what I've, you know, been fortunate enough to focus on since, you know, I met you guys in 2005. Um, it's just that sort of like the description of that type of client is really amorphous now because it's no longer like website design firms and design uh, agencies and graphic designers. It's like just this sort of world of digital and online and offline consulting for improving businesses and products. And, you know, we work with all sorts of folks that fit within and companies that fit within that that mold. And then uh, lots of companies and people that don't too, but it's very sort of design and creative professional specific. Uh, I've learned a lot about, you know, like I have industrial designers that are designing actual products and that are designing furniture and, and televisions and things like that. Um, so I've sort of seen all these different worlds and over the course of the last 15 years in this practice. And um, it's been really cool. And so we, you know, we provide services from and it's kind of soup to nuts business services, right? You form a business or sell a business and everything in between. But our bread and butter is really like the everyday, negotiating these contracts, dealing with employment stuff and, and um, vendors, still doing trademarks and copyright things, a lot of online terms of service and compliance with the new laws that come up, like California's new privacy law and the ADA and things like that. But um, still just trying to be good sort of general counsel for professionals and businesses. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really cool because like I said, when we found you just because we had this crisis and I think a lot of people like are never totally like the, the phrase like I've got to get a lawyer sounds really scary or, you know, oh, lawyers are sharks, but it really is just like a business service that helps you, I think can really decrease the anxiety. And so like, I'd encourage people to, you know, talk to a lawyer about your situation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, legal services are like a CPA and an insurance broker for, for a small business. It's kind of, it's a necessary evil for some. And for some it's, you know, it's just part of what you do and to make sure that everything's set up right there is a huge amount of lore out there about lawyers and a lot of it is absolutely 100% deserved <laughs> because of sort of the way that like the profession has become an industry, a business, like so many other things, yeah. right? I mean, don't get me started, obviously, but colleges are a fucking business now. Everything's a business. That's, a, that's it's, all. It, it's all about generating revenue. And so the good news is from for a lawyer's perspective is like 90 some percent of us are still small, medium sized firms. Like, you know, it's mm -hmm. there's there's only a very few amount of lawyers that are at those gargantuan money generating places. Yeah. For our part, I think like I'm I'm really grateful to that dick who threatened to sue us <laughs> because I think because of our working relationship that really enabled us to take on work with very large, complex organizations and protect ourselves. We should, we should like send him a bouquet or something. Oh, God, no. <laughs> God, I, I never want to, uh, like... I, I think send him a bag of dicks on fire. <laughs> dicks on fire. So thank you. Your thank you bag of dicks. A horse's head. <laughs> we, we actually have a, a plushy horse's head for reasons here in the office. Yeah. Like life-size. But yeah, but, be, but because of that, then we were able to, to really be in a good position to take on work with organizations that are much larger and in some respects have like, like, like could crush us somehow, but go into it feeling good about the relationship and, and feeling like we were in a good position to negotiate. And I think that made us better. 
it made us able to do more interesting things. And uh, yeah, and now it's like, it's rare when I have to negotiate a contract anymore. It's part of the process. Yeah. I mean, negotiation, I mean, people seem to think of negotiation as, as something's gone wrong. If I'm negotiating, right. something's wrong. And I mean, the, the, way that, the, the way that we trained ourselves to look at it is if you're bidding on something and you give somebody a price and they say you get an immediate no, you priced it too high. If you get an immediate yes, you priced it too low. If they want to negotiate, you priced it right. Yeah. Yeah. If they want, and if they want to negotiate about little things, you, you're really in the, the right ballpark. Because really, I mean, the way to look at it, it's the same way that you should always be researching, right? You should always be looking at the world around you and understanding why things are as they are and always having curiosity around the world, like whatever sort of work you're doing. I think you're, you're always negotiating because if you don't go in every situation thinking about, oh, what do I want to get out of this situation? What do the other people want to get out of this situation? Like not in a devious way, but just being attuned to that, I think is just a good life skill. Also, the, everybody here has a job to do and those jobs don't match up. Right. My job, I mean, let's say everybody wants the project to work well, the common goal, fantastic. You're starting from a great place. But my job as the person representing the design studio is to get paid as much as humanly possible. The client's job is to pay me as little as humanly possible. <laughs> so negotiating where to meet in the middle yes. is the right <laughs> thing to do. But I can't be surprised that they're trying to, 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 right. to get a contract in place that favors them because I'm trying to get a contract in place that favors me. Yeah. And that's, that's good and rational exactly. for everyone involved. You, you know what I, I think about a lot? Like I, we should have like a part two of this that is, I don't know if you you guys ever just provide, you know, just like we're going to pontificate because we have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's pretty uniquely American. Like I'm not that well-traveled, but I'm well-traveled enough to say that I, it, it's, and it's not just uniquely American. It's sort of like, it's not my culture. I know it's not like where you come from, Mike. Um, it's, it's a cultural thing. Like people don't, they can't argue. It's like impolite. Right. And from where I come from and my family, like it's fucking required. Like arguing is is just what you do. And you're not like upset oh, with yeah. each other out after it. Uh, you just do it. And then there's but but so many people I encounter in the world, and again, particularly in our country, they just they don't want to argue. And if you do argue, and it's all amplified, of course, by this one hit, you know, quick zero sum game thing going on in social media, but like it's like World War Three that you like disagree about something. It's like, nah, you know, we got to argue to talk about it and flesh out these differences and figure out what the real truth is. That's what I fi I figured like round two of this podcast should be, let's talk about how people should fucking talk to each other. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, yeah. We, could, we, could we should totally have that conversation. When I was a kid and I'd go to a, to a store or to a market with my grandmother in the old country, when she saw a price for something that was, that, that was just, the point at which she'd start arguing. It was a suggestion. It was a suggestion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so they're trying, they're trying to get this much. Yeah. That's fine. Here's what I'm willing to pay. And now we're going to argue for 10 minutes. Right. And, and then, and then what the other thing I noticed is, is after they'd come to an agreement, they would then sit there and talk about each other's families for 15 minutes. Right. Yeah. It's all, you know, yeah. So we have the thing that we argue about and then, Hey, let's have pleasantries. I think it's, I mean, I think it's a bit of like, it's, it's definitely built into like the Jewish culture. I'd say to a certain extent, I have observed it's built into like the Catholic culture and then just sort of the immigrant culture, people who come from other places, because again, it's this uniquely American thing where, whoa, don't, you don't disagree with family. You don't disagree with friends. It's like, fuck, of course you do. <laughs> anyway. I mean, I, you know, I, I, uh, being in North beach now, I spend my mornings, you know, sitting in, um, in front of, of cafe Trieste. You arguing know, with your dad. Arguing with your dad. Um, and, and everybody sitting out there is arguing. Yeah. They all agree with each other. Right. But God damn it, that's not going to keep them from having a good argument. That's right. The argument is the thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, I want to make sure I say one more thing for, for people listening who, who might be conflict averse here um, or, or who might want to 
try to avoid these awkward situations of, of negotiating these contract points. The conversations that you will have if you don't do the negotiations up front are so much worse. Yeah. So much worse than the one you're trying to avoid now. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, the ones where you are losing money are the worst. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, we sh- we should probably uh, wrap this up. So are you still running? Uh, so I did that little streak, that holiday streak. Yeah. And then in all honesty, I have not run since then. I've been going to my gym like four times a week. Um, doing the, um, I, I almost don't want to say it, but like the CrossFit workout. Oh, uh, you're on the CrossFit? You're on the CrossFit? Yeah, Are you on the paleo I've been, too? Shit, I've been doing it five years. Like I can't hide from it. Um, but yeah, I've been doing that four days a week. And it's By the way, keeping, keeping me for safe. our listeners, Gabe is incredibly ripped. Yeah. He's so ripped now. I'm, I'm ripped. He's swole. I'm swole, <laughs> bro. <laughs> He's so swole. Okay. So you're, you're doing, you're doing the CrossFit yeah. in the, the box. Is that what they call it? You know, we're getting old. I had this damn hip thing. And like when I was running every day, I just kind of ignored it because Ooh, I just, that's no good. like I'm going to run every day. Yeah. It wasn't brilliant. Um, but it wasn't getting worse. It was just staying there. And then, um, I kind of, it kind of got better as I stopped running and I was doing a lot of running on concrete and stuff. Cause I was just like, Oh, got to go get my three miles right out of the, right out of the building. Mm-hmm. And, um, that does not agree with me. And so I need to like take the time, drive over to somewhere where there's dirt. How about you? You run it? Uh, yeah, somewhat. I think I want to, I want to train for another, it's been a while since I've done a, a try and now I'm swimming at the big pool and the weather's been bad. So I've been riding my bike, but I'm, I'm starting to try to get the running back in, but it's just like the, you know, it's like five miles a, a couple few times a week now. It's good. But I think streaks are bad because what I've found when I've been training for things is the rest time. Like when I come back from rest, I'm doing so much better. Like I've had times where I've had to travel for work and haven't been able to do a thing, like haven't been swimming yeah. or haven't been running. And I go back to it and I'm faster and stronger. So yeah, no, no doubt. Rest is super important component and streaks are stupid. <laughs> By the way, we have three listeners left. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but Gabe and I used to have a podcast yeah. where all we talked about was exactly this. Like yeah, for, for those who don't know. Law these, and running. What was it called? Running from the law. Running from the law. Might still be out there. Yeah, running from the law. Is it still up there? I don't even, I don't know. It was a few years ago. It was before, you know, Gabe moved away. Oh, yeah. No, actually, we stopped it, I think, when I was still in the city. Maybe not. I don't know. Whatever. I think it was like having a kid or something. You had had other things to do or we just like run out of every possible dimension of endurance, fitness, and business law combo conversations we could have. I mean, after the episode on nip guards. (laughs) Yeah. That yeah. was my favorite episode. Okay, well, we'll I'll see if I can find it. You're a bleeder, right? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I got it. See, now, now this is good radio. Yeah. Right now. I'm chesty. <laughs> what, you, what? I'm chesty. Like, you know. Oh, my God. Were you about to describe your areolas? <laughs> So, uh, so we'll, uh, we'll see if we can and dig it up and, and we'll don't link t- to, don't dig that up. We'll link to the episode I, where I'm, we can hear I'm all about I'm so Gabe's glad this is radio right bloody, now. Bloody <laughs> no. Yeah. And not video, not a, not a visual. Yeah. Mike, I, I mean, yeah. you're like sharing pictures of your feet and stuff. Feet. I mean, Jesus, you know who, who got me a good podiatrist? I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's got to have a new knee put in. I know. Oh God. Like we don't talk about that <laughs> an hour a day. Today's conversation, today's conversation shows I'm planning to watch while I'm laid up rehabilitating my knee. Right. Yeah. He's got to figure out things to read, consume voraciously. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a planner. Yeah. Oh, actually relevant, apropos, relevant to what you guys do. Did he share with you the, um, the surveillance capitalism piece? Oh God. Yes. Course. Yeah, of course. Really, yeah, that writing, that 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 person writes really well. I have not read. It's good stuff. Yeah. Let's put a link to that in the notes. It got, it got me thinking about your you know most recent work, Mike, and how badly you all fucked up the internet. We did. <laughs> we did. We we totally and and I mean we including me, we totally fucked up the internet. Yeah, no, I I do not blame blame you. How how old is your daughter now? My dad, uh, seventy one. 
No, no, your daughter. Oh, my daughter's six. Six. Uh, on behalf of my generation, I would like to apologize to your daughter and her generation on how we have completely fucked up the world for her. Well, she very much likes to be able to watch on-demand television on her iPad. So she's she's cool. She's well, but, cool. <laughs> but the breathing, the breathing, the being able the to air. breathe. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a rough air one. Air quality, temperature, yeah. stuff like that. Well, fantastic. Well, on that note, that's, on that happy... Yeah. Note, while we still have a planet, let's let's negotiate for the future of our planet. There. Solidarity. I brought it all around. Well, it was it was fantastic to to talk with you again. And we should, you know, actually hang out in person sometime. Yeah. For ten years we've been trying to plan this. I know. Yeah, it's not gonna like, happen. Yeah. Yeah. And Erica, yeah. Erica biked out here, Mike. Yeah, I biked to his house. I know you did. You're very good at that. <laughs> you are so athletic. Uh, yeah. I'll talk about my my special gels and chews <laughs> that I, I had on, on the way while I was biking. Well, fantastic. So we will we'll wrap up this episode of The Voice of Design. Remember, negotiate on behalf of yourself because other people won't. And we'll link to all the stuff in the notes. And remember, you can follow us on Twitter. VOD rocks, V-O-D underscore R-O-C-K-S. And please tell your friends to listen and, uh, you know, rate us if you can rate us and, and just uh, feel free to write to us and tell us we're awesome too. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, Gabe. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. Always a pleasure. Bye everybody. Lawyer on.